0: Heavenly Father, thank you for a really good day. And uh, thank you that all the kids are going back to school really soon. Thank you. And Father, thanks for this church, a relaxed church that's growing in our understanding of who you are and discovering how much you love us. Please keep teaching us that because we can't hear it enough. And I pray this morning that you kind of speak to all of our hearts. In a really real way. What is it you want us to hear today? What's the one thing we get to walk away with and go, wow, thanks, I needed that. Uh, Do that for me too, please. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, are we good? All right, awesome. Okay, the last couple weeks I've been dealing dealing with the subject of impacting the world or making a difference and uh, my first message was titled Stressing to Make a Difference and then Trying to Make a Difference and then last week was Making a Difference and this week is How You Can Impact Your World Around You Practically What Are Some Things We Can Do and then I have some examples This will wrap up this little mini-series that uh, you don't have to try and build a platform for your own life you don't have to build your own reputation on your own to, to have an impact in this world. Self-promotion is becoming pretty rampant all over Facebook, YouTube, and you name it, the media, and, and, and business, and network marketing. It's, it's, it's like step on top of everybody else kind of mentality. And uh, that is the exact opposite of what the gospel is. And uh, I want to show you a better way today to utilize the gifts of, of what your skills are, and even your products if you're selling stuff, How can you use that and and allow Christ to do it in and through you instead of trying to do it in your own strength? So we're in a world and a culture obsessed with selfies, YouTube stardom, and being the next idol. And uh, that's not what it is. It's not about trying to raise the awareness of self or self-promotion or ego. Um, That's not who you really are. The real you is one with Christ. The real you is one with Christ. Um, this past week, a Friday night, we had uh, shown the movie The Shack and uh, uh, I had a room set for all the kids, you know, movies ready to go. No kids, so it was fine. But we had uh, probably 30 people here and there was about 12 to 15 individuals that just heard about it via Facebook or were invited by, by friends. So we had people that had no clue. A church existed here and it was an impacting move. How many came that were here? Yeah, it was, it was good. There was a lot of tears. When I came up to say thanks for coming, all these red eyes everywhere, it was like, because <laughs> it, was, it was powerful. If you haven't seen it, we're probably going to show it again, and uh, you're welcome to come, and uh, I, I think that'll be a good event again because people seem to like it. It seems to impact people's lives, and that kind of an event, nobody tried to make a difference. We just thought we'd show it to those who want to, and guess what happened? it made a difference in people we had nothing to do with. Who could have planned that? That is a method that's hard to capture, and um, according to science, you kind of repeat it, and you can prove it by repeating it over and over and have the same outcome. But you can't do that with this. You can't do that with God. You can't do that with your own personal lives. Uh, sometimes we see a pattern in, in the Bible of how people were impacted by God, and we say, oh, we got to do that! No, you don't. You know, remember remember us talking about what would Jesus do? And people have these bumper stickers and and this little book, what would Jesus do? And it's not about trying to figure out what Jesus would do. Because where's the onus? On you. Trying to figure out in this situation, what would God do? What would He do if he were in my shoes? I'm going to try and copy the exact same thing he might do, but he might have done it another way. So which one do I do? Like, can you see how crazy this gets? The only, what would Jesus do that we can possibly do is to abide. That's it. Let him live his life through you. He was in constant contact with his heavenly Father. And as a result, God spoke to him. He directed him on walks. He healed people. It was all done through his Father. In the book of Acts, it says, uh, it was God who did the miracles and in, in through Christ. It wasn't the man Jesus. It was God in Christ doing it. I thought, that's a, powerfully, a powerful thing to remember. You know, So we don't start thinking, look what I get credit for. Look what I did and that's easy to do in this culture, in this world. And I'm, I want to talk about that and kind of move on to the next thing. So how do we compare this then? Why is there a tension? Well, if we're in the system of religion, what I call churchianity, uh, a system where the church tries to lock you in to sign up for everything, and in order to be a good Christian, here's the rules. Oh, sure, salvation's free, but as soon as you say the prayer, boom, now you've got to be involved. Now you've got to give, you've got to teach Sunday school, you've got to show up Wednesday nights, you've got to volunteer in this thing. And the list goes on and on and on in order to be a good Christian. And it's hogwash. It's not true at all. That's a system of religion that says, in order, I, I, in order to become, I have to do. And clearly in this church, we have been unlearning that for the last 14 years. So if you've been with us for any length of time, that becomes clear. Instead, grace is the key foundation, Christ himself. It's up to Christ in you. It's not us trying to do it. It's our oneness with Christ. He's the source of all that we do, and you're going to see that come out a little more clearly in just a few moments. The doing from a place of rest. What I used to teach, and I meant well, and there isn't a work in order to become or a work to... uh, Uh, to maintain our salvation, so to speak, Uh, we're to rest. We don't have to do those things, but what can happen quickly in a burned-out churched world that have been so busy doing things for God, you stop everything, and suddenly you have nobody doing anything. That's really awkward. (laughs) But a pendulum comes back, and I'm re-teaching this through a better lens. That Look, we are going to do things. And we do them from a place of rest. And what's our motivation? The motivation isn't to make a difference. Instead, making a difference is the result of abiding in Christ and walking in the recognition of his ever-present life and wisdom in us. This is what abiding looks like. Just every day, realizing, first of all, he's in us. His life is in us. His wisdom is in us. He will tell us when to act and what to do and give us the strength to do it. It's not about you have to anymore, but instead you get to participate in what God's already doing. In the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, there were a lot of rules of what they had to do. You had to keep the Sabbath. You can only walk so many steps on the Saturday. You, could, you had to do this. You had to make this offering. And there This whole system of 600 and some odd rules of stuff you have to do in order. And if you break one, you break the whole law. That's brutal well Jesus came fulfilled the old covenant and ushered in a new covenant the old is now obsolete we don't follow those rules those were given to Jews not to us that's to the Jewish people the Hebrew people and now the the things and the commands we see in the new testament they're not laws their are commands as in, here, this is good for you. This will look good on you. Do these things and it will benefit you. The results, the fruit of your actions will be good for you. Oh, and stop doing these other things because the fruit of those things are going to hurt your life. Stop it. It's not a law. It's wisdom. Commands to say, hey, it's for your benefit. Now you get to choose. Do you want to listen or not? It's a very different way to see the commands versus the law in the, uh, between Old and New Testament. All right. How can we do this? How can we daily make a difference in this world? Um, I want to suggest that we begin by cultivating a heart of intimacy with Christ. Uh, I think this is the foundation for numbers 2 and 3 that I'm going to be talking about in just a moment. This is huge. Um, how do we do this? How do we cultivate a heart of intimacy with Jesus? Well, in the old system, in churchianity, I would have to, every day, read my Bible. That's a rule I have to do. Every day I have to pray. Uh, And how long, they didn't tell you, but the longer you prayed, the more spiritual you were. And the more verses you read. And by the way, if you memorized more, then you're even more spiritual. And all these these ridiculous rules and things that they put onto people that were unachievable. I remember when I stopped doing those things. Yes, I did stop. And yes, I was the pastor of the church at the time. But I kind of set it aside because I felt it was a duty. But guess what happened? After a time, I wanted to. Something was saying, hey, I I want to know more. I want to have a little chat with God. I don't have to do it in a ritual. I, I can just do it, wait a minute, anytime, All the time. I have more conversations now than I ever did before under the system of having my daily devotions you can have your daily devotions that's wonderful, go for it if that's what works for you but you don't put that on somebody else say you must in order to be teach them who they are and watch them be drawn to understand the word of God that is Holy Spirit driven not leader driven or church driven very different and I think there's far more freedom in that and it's scary, freedom is scary easier to be told what to do. Much easier. You don't have to think. Hmm. All right. 2 Peter 1.5. It says, make every effort. I want to read this to you because this is one of my favorites. As we know Jesus better. Okay. That implies there is a call and a sense from within. Christ in you is drawing you in to know him better and better. Okay? This is a constant fact. It doesn't stop ever. Even though you may feel it's not happening. Just because you're not sensing it, not feeling it, he is always at work in you. At all times. He can never leave us or forsake us. It's good news. He says in verse 3 of 2 Peter 1, As we know Jesus better, his divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. Who's the source? Jesus. Hmm. So far, we're just living in response, right? Okay, good. That's what you're supposed to say. He has called us to receive his own glory and goodness. That's it. Receive. Not try to get but just simply receive. Believe it. Receive it. And by that same mighty power, he has given us all of his rich and wonderful promises. He has promised that you will escape the decadence all around you caused by evil desires and that you will share in his divine nature. Verse 5, So make every effort to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. Then your life, sorry, uh, then your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. There's effort involved here. In this culture, we're trying to find the least resistant path. The less, the better. That includes attitudes, that includes involvement in stuff, self disciplines, eh. Okay, it's good enough. I don't have to do that. I I won't even commit to that event until the night before because, eh, this is the culture we're in. You know, I really make every effort. And take a look at this. Here, it gets better. Um, Then your life, sorry, then your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. And the faith you have has been given to you. By the way, you didn't muster it up. Um, A life of moral excellence leads to knowing God better. Knowing God leads to self-control. Self-control leads to patient endurance. Patient endurance leads to godliness. Godliness leads to love for other Christians. And finally, you will grow to have a genuine love for everyone. I would suggest you go home and read this slowly. This is so simple. It's just a Hey, look Look how all this stuff grows on top of each other. Just by getting to know God better and better. That's it. Have you, do you see a to-do list here? No. Definitely not. And then it, it says it leads you lead to love for other Christians, but then it says to have a genuine love for everybody. Who else loves everybody? Christ. There is nobody that is not loved. Zero. No matter how bad a person you think they are, or what kind of terrorist they are, or the lifestyle they've chosen to live, they are absolutely loved by God. They are His creation. There's nobody outside of His love. It's an impossibility. Fully loved. Now they don't all know it. Oh my goodness, imagine if they knew. <laughs> imagine them then learning to discover God's love and knowing him better, and seeing the fruit of this journey we just read about. It gets better. The more you grow like this, the more you're going to become productive, wow, and useful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this warning. But those who fail to develop these virtues are blind, or at least... Very short sighted. They have already forgotten. Listen to this. This is the best part. They've forgotten that God has cleansed them from their old sin. You're forgiven, people. The world is forgiven. And when you believe it, oh my goodness. But sometimes people forget. They feel shameful towards God, other believers, whoever. They don't want to hang out because of a mistake they made. Let's not cultivate that attitude in the church. Let's cultivate acceptance and love. Cultivate relationship with one another. And you'll start making a difference. You'll become productive and useful. Put every effort into this. You see, Christ is the initiator. He is the one putting the hunger in us. So to say cultivate a heart of intimacy with Christ can sound like, here, you have to go do this. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is a fact as he initiates, respond to that, that hunger. He's the one drawing you in. Keep growing in grace and identity. I think this is, this is the biggest thing that's ever changed my life. Is first of all, discovering what Christ has done at the cross for all of us and then discovering my identity in Christ. Who am I in Christ. Like Jennifer read Colossians one twenty seven, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That became really real about 15 years ago. And ever since then, I've been unlearning the churchy system, unlearning religion, because that's a system that binds and ties up. Keep growing in your understanding of who the Father is through Jesus. I believe our culture the Western church has a horrific picture of who God the Father is. It is Jesus himself who said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We're the same. How many people have a picture, an image of God of some big fat dude on a big um, throne with a big bushy beard making him look bigger and... Of, eyes of fire, come and love me, or I'll burn you. You know? Like that's an image many, many people have. And then the church takes that false image, makes movies that scare the hell right out of you, make you say a prayer, because if you don't say the prayer, you're gonna burn, and it's it's a sick system. When Jesus came, not to condemn, because that's what all that does is condemn. Jesus came to reveal the Father because everybody has had an incomplete, is the correct word, I believe, an incomplete picture. The whole Old Testament is an incomplete picture of God the Father, and yet we see sparkles of truth all the way through it. But it's incomplete. (laughs) There's much to learn and unlearn. Continue to grow and find out how God is love. Not that he has love. Of course he does. It's not an attribute as an app in the phone. I downloaded love today. (laughs) No. He is the essence. His very essence is love. And all that he does flows from love. Even his wrath. Which literally means any intense emotion. The word wrath... Comes from the Greek word word orgay, we get the word orgasm. Well, I don't say anything angry about that, but anyway, it, it, this is this is dealing with the any intense emotion. It is funny. It's okay. You can smile. But the point is, it comes from that root word Orge. and it was translated wrath. Hmm. I think there may be more grace in that. Than we've been told. It's worth re looking, re seeing this through the lens of Jesus Himself, who has revealed the love of the Father and the essence of who the Father is. Next, listen to the Spirit, not necessarily people's voices, and learn the difference. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. I've warned you guys for 15, 14 years that I've been here don't trust everything I say, ask the Holy Spirit. When you have a job that is about talking, you're going to say wrong things. You're going to say things wrong. It's going to happen. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I didn't quite agree with what he said. Is he right or is he wrong? Show me what, what was the intent here. Let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. All right? For me, I've got people around me that I trust That sometimes call me out and say, "Hey, you know what? Didn't need to say that. Or I'm not sure that you said that the way you wanted to. It came out wrong. Oh man! So next Sunday I correct it. (laughs) You know, because there's love and trust in the relationship of some key leaders. It's important. Same thing for you. Find people you trust that can differentiate the voices that you're sensing. Is this the spirit of God telling me this? You know, I, I always shudder when people say, well, God told me. I say, which God? <laughs> you know? There are better ways to say that, especially in this culture. But as soon as you start saying, God told me that you should do this, or I'm supposed to do this or that, or he, he's called me to lead this, hang on here. I talk to him all the time. He never mentioned you, you know? So don't use that because that term is a power trip. It can't be challenged. Does God speak to people? Absolutely. Absolutely. But more often than not, individuals that God truly speaks to and gives direction to for certain things, it's done in humbleness and gentleness. It's not a power trip. Hmm. I, had a, I know there's some guys walking around calling themselves prophets and, and uh, apostles and stuff, self-appointed, and they walk into a town and say, I'm an apostle, please give me a home stay in. And they have this expectation like, that's, seriously ask the spirit of Christ in you. Is this real? Humility and gentleness. Let the spirit speak to you. I'm appealing to your spirits right now. I'm appealing to the light that is in you, each one of us. Everybody has the light of Christ shining through them. So I'm speaking to that to appeal so that from within truth is confirmed. Not from outside. It's gotta be true already. Number two, keep your eyes open. You want to make a difference in this world? Be attentive, be aware. Sometimes there are signs, events that happen, and you go, God, what are you trying to teach me about this? I'll give you an example. Just, just strangely enough, but Friday night, I had no expectation. We're just gonna watch a great movie that you know emotionally hits me, you know. But it changed instantly, an event by having certain people show up, changed my lens of how I was watching the movie and began praying for certain people here. Everything changed just by an event. If I didn't care or wasn't aware, I'd just be going, it was a great movie. You know, and just on and on. But the awareness, the having the antennas up, something's going to be happening at some point, who knows when. Sometimes people, certain people come into your life that you haven't seen for a long time, and boom, there they are. You know, and, and this Weird communication thing happens and they seem to be hurting. Out of the blue, stuff happens. Or as you're walking, you, the Holy Spirit may say, that person, just watch. And all you may be called to do is just pray for that person. Not even go talk to them. Just pray for that person walking who seems to be hurting. I believe that is their spirit communicating with the Spirit of Christ that you're one with, and the Holy Spirit's also confirming that with you, vibrating it to you, saying, hey, I'm making this connection, pray for them. Because I'm doing something. I'm inviting you to participate in what I'm doing. Odd connections, we just talked about that. These are all opportunities to grow and practice hearing God's voice. Are we going to get it right every time? No way. It's going to take the rest of our lives to figure this one out. But I promise you, the more you practice it, the more you're going to become aware God's actually at work in us. Even with patterns in our life we don't like, what's going to happen is this awareness is going to speak to the negative patterns that we're involved in and it's going to lose power. And we just, just by knowing God, these things lose, and, lose power and dissipate. It's crazy how it works. And all we're doing is resting in Christ. What? Number three, God can get your attention as well. So it's not so much all up to you to have your antennas up because that's not the message this morning. He is, big. is he big enough to get your attention? Is God Almighty big enough to get your attention through any personality type, any wall that's up? Can he do that? Does he have the capacity? Yes. Okay, but trust him. Be response-able. So as he initiates, you're able to respond to what he is trying to teach or say to you or get your attention. Here's a story of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah was serving the king's court, he started to hear what happened in Jerusalem and the walls were all horrifically in bad shape. And do you know what happened? He responded to the pain of his people. He identified with it. But in our culture, we just changed the channel. I didn't see that. Let's watch the Meriwether fight instead. You know, let's, let's watch this, this show over here. Let's, let's not hear the pain of people because, because then I might have to do something. God uses people to impact other people. That's how he has worked since he's created us. I don't think that's changed. He works supernaturally he does things on his own too. But he uses people. Samuel and Eli. What happened with Samuel? Nothing. He was sleeping. And suddenly he hears his name. Samuel, Samuel, come here. What was that? He runs over to Eli, the priest. Hey, did you call me? Nope, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Three times and finally Samuel or sorry, Eli goes, this has got to be a God thing. Hey, Samuel, if you hear the voice again, say, Speak, Lord. I'm listening. Mentors in our life. If you think you're hearing something, go talk to somebody else first. Somebody you trust. Somebody who has a spiritual maturity about them. And help with that discernment. Is this the voice of God? There are individuals in this church family I've directed to call a group of individuals together. Speak to those guys, ladies, whoever, and ask them wisdom and listen to what they say. Okay? And I picked wise people. There's wisdom in that. Moses, what was he doing? Walking. And suddenly there's a bush burning. Okay, that's not done burning yet. And so he's intrigued and God gets his attention, and over it goes, and he meets God. Huh. Do you think he had some unlearning to do? <laughs> he did some serious unlearning. David and Goliath. David shows up. He was just supposed to deliver food, and what does he do? Hey, you're making fun of my God. Let's go and <laughs> on go <with> the gloves. <laughs> That's what happened. He just responded to what was going on. God knows how, to get our, knows how to get our attention. And he's already predispositioned us for certain situations to be able to respond. He's already predispositioned predispos- you. Micaiah, this is a great story. He was a prophet. Now let me give you the quick background of this story. Two kings collaborated and said, Hey, Should we attack Syria again and try and take them out? Okay, uh, let's get the prophets to give us some wisdom. So they, they went and called all the prophets. I think it was 400 of them, if I'm not mistaken. Hang on. There was a whole bunch. 400, yep. 400 prophets. And the prophets all said to these two kings, Yes, go fight. You will win. Well, one of the kings said, hang on. uh, I think it was King Jehoshaphat. He said, Go get the other prophet. And the king says, The other king says, Well, no, I hate him. He does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He complains. This is what the king complains. I don't want his advice. He's always negative. (laughs) Wonder why. So they go get this prophet, Micaiah, and they warn him, Hey, all the other prophets have said, go fight, say the same thing. So he comes in, and Micaiah is asked, and he replies sarcastically. So it's really obvious. Yes, go up and be victorious, for the Lord will give the king victory. But the king replied sharply, How many times must I demand that you speak only the truth to me when you speak for the Lord? (laughs) That is hilarious. The guy knew already he wasn't telling the truth. Do you not see the humor in that? Okay, I do. (sighs) Then Micaiah said, In a vision I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains, like sheep without a shepherd, and the Lord said their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. In the face of 400 naysayers, one man says, you're going to die in this battle. You will lose. And then he calls out the other 400. How many times do we have a hard time speaking, in the, truth, speaking the truth in the face of consensus? And in this culture, it's harder and harder and harder. It gives you a little more appreciation for what the prophets had to go through one man making a difference this next one's really cool because it's just a little girl that does this in second kings 5:3 uh, one day the girl said to her mistress i wish my master would go see the prophet of samaria in samaria he would heal him of his leprosy the girl had heard of elisha and what elisha had been doing and had faith that her boss could get healed And it was the voice of a little servant girl, slave, who had care and spoke. And this resulted in the journey of healing for Naaman. One voice, one direction. You don't realize by saying something encouraging... You don't know the wisdom that good God could be speaking through you in a given conversation on the phone or texting or Facebook Live, whatever you're doing. You don't realize what can happen through a word or a sentence. God can use you without you even trying. Here's another one. I love this one. Probably didn't even know this guy. We don't even know his name. But the owner of the upper room. Let me suggest, is your heart teachable and approachable? This man's heart must have been. Because Jesus says, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. I think Jesus knew this man. I think he must have rubbed shoulders with them already. It's possible the man could have said, if you ever need a place, i got a place, you know? (laughs) It's possible. Because the connections were made in advance. The attitude was set in advance. You know certain people already that would help you in a certain situation because you know their attitude and their resources. They've made it available to you already. Hmm. All of us can be used. Whether you pull somebody's car uh, to the to the garage because they can't get a tow truck, whether it's an instant where you're buying an extra bag of food for somebody, who knows? Using your CAA card to help somebody else in trouble—that's love. You didn't even have to know the person. Next person, the man at uh, Gadara. Gadara. Gardara. Okay, this guy is typically known as the demon-possessed dude. How would you like to be known for what you used to be like? Can you imagine the labels over our heads? <laughs> like, <laughs> whoo, <laughs> censor this, you know. Like, it's crazy. But this man was known as the demon-possessed guy. Jesus was asked to take off, get out of there. There was two guys. Because he sent the whole herd of pigs. Oh, sorry, he sent the demons into a herd of pigs, and off they went and died. And the, the whole village said, get out of here, Jesus. We want nothing to do with you. And this man wanted to go along. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. You see, he had a reputation. He had the chains, the broken chains. He chose not to be a groupie. He wanted to go along with Jesus. That was natural. Hey, you just freed me. I want to hang out with you. And Jesus spoke to his spirit and said, just go, go to your villages and tell people what God has done and how merciful he is. That is the love of God. Telling people how merciful God is, how good God is, that he's not ticked that he has forgiven already. He's a simple messenger. Here's another one. Peter's mother-in-law, almost dead. She is not in good shape. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. And standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her and she got up at once and checked her email that had piled up. Nope. <laughs> and she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. Her heart was to serve. Her heart was to, wow, thank you. And she gave back out of her giftedness, which was to serve work. Everybody has a way to make a difference. Here's another one. The Centurion at the cross. This this character was made a little more popular in the 1965 movie "The Greatest Story Ever Told." When who played the role of the Centurion? Anybody remember? Really? Thank you, John Wayne, the Duke. Surely, this man was the son of God. I looked it up on YouTube. It's exactly what it sounded like, and everybody thinks it was some big tough guy. <laughs> it was John Wayne. It was hilarious. Well, hilarious now, but... The centurion was a man who had been doing that job for a long time. He was a perfectioner, professional executor. He knew how to kill and excruciate pain out of people. He was really good at it. And after you see enough bodies flail, it's just the same thing, whatever's hackier, here, poke, stab. It's all the same. There's no connection. This is the mentality of a Roman soldier. You have to know this. It sounds gross, but so what? You have to understand that's how cold they were to humanity. And yet, something happened to this calloused, hard-hearted man. And he saw that Jesus was... Was truly the Son of God. Nobody is out of reach. Nobody is out of reach for the love of Christ. He can soften any hardened heart. There's nobody. One man. Last one. Not Tetris. Tertius. Okay, get it right. I, Tertius, the one writing this letter for Paul, send my greetings to as one of the Lord's followers. How many have heard of Tertius before? Neither had I. And yet he wrote Romans. Well, he penned it. Paul told him what to write. Paul's the author. But God used a writer to write down the words that have impacted our lives so profoundly today. Behind the scenes. More happens behind the scenes as those who are craving for the limelight that this message is for. It's also for those who feel that their behind the scenes work is useless and not affecting anything. Yes, it is. We're here to impact one life at a time and it's not our job to determine how many lives or what the impact will be. We're just the conduit of Christ, oneness with Christ, loving people that are in our path. You can make a difference. And this is good news. Don't ever, ever think you are not capable because everybody here is capable of making a difference in somebody's life. It's good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness in us. Thank you that you are our guide, our director, our teacher, the one who speaks in and through us. You're also the source from which all goodness that flows out of us comes from. You're the power that allows us to do these good things, and you are the result of all that we do. We just get to enjoy you. Please teach us to walk in that simplicity and begin to enjoy true life. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.